open your Bible to Psalms. Just open, get to Psalms, and then we're going we're gonna to do a couple of things before we get to Psalm 51 that I think are going to be helpful. So get, get your Bible open to Psalms. And then I'm going to get there in a minute. I want to just do a quick, why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing this morning? Um, so we're in message two of three messages on just sin and repentance and what does it look like for us to repent of our sins. I want to remind us that we're doing this really, this is part of our mission as a church. We're doing this under the umbrella of our grow mission, right? We all seek to grow. We want to change. We want to pursue sanctification. So how do we do this? Well, one piece of the puzzle is sin and repentance, is recognizing our sin and repenting. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. And I think this is really important because I carry a concern for my own life and for us as a church that we can be so busy and life can be so full of crazy distractions that we don't spend a lot of time just considering where we've sinned and asking God for forgiveness and repenting of it. And if we don't do that over a long period of time, we end up drifting from God. We can end up wandering from Christ. So with this concern is just that perhaps in the church today, repentance is just a long forgotten practice. So I want to bring this to the forefront for us for these three weeks just to help us to engage more regularly in what it means to confess sin and repent of sin. And also, because I know they can sound like a downer, I know from experience, I think we know from experience, that the more aware we are of our sin when we go to Christ, the more grateful we are for his forgiveness. So our heightened awareness is a good thing. I want to be aware of how sick I am, so I'll celebrate the doctor more. That's kind of what it comes down to. So that's why, that's a real, you know, nuts and bolts thing about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And then last week we talked about being aware of our sin, our heart attitude towards our sin, and our response for our, towards our sin. And we'd lose David as a sample, as an example to us, as we went to 2 Samuel. And we saw that David's heart was hard towards his sin until Nathan came to him with his sheep story, which penetrated into David's heart, softened his heart, so he responded at the end of the story with, I have sinned against the Lord. He recognized his sin and he called it sin. Now, last week in the story from Samuel, we see outwardly what happens, right? We see the story unfolding before our eyes, but we don't really get a glimpse into anyone's heart. So even when David says those words, I've sinned against the Lord, I mean, how many times have I just said, oh yeah, God, I sinned? But you couldn't see my heart. It made my heart was right in it. It made my heart wasn't. So we go to the Psalms because we've got some Psalms where David through the power of the Spirit, and for our good is recorded, we see David's heart exposed. We see what's happening inside of David, and we're going to even see what happened inside of David's heart when and right after he spoke those words, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, before we do that, I want to, before we get to Psalm 51, turn it back to 32. Because I just want to show you something that I think kind of sets a stage here for us. Remember, the Psalms are helped to make us feel things, we're, we're trying to feel what God feels and feel what David felt. We're trying to get into his heart, into his soul, into his emotions. And so in Psalm 32, I think, I'm going to show you two Psalms really quick. It doesn't tell us in the text, but I think it's very possible that David penned those Psalms before he confessed his sin. I think. Now, I don't know where in his life, but something was going on. So look what he says in Psalm 32. I'm just going to show you a couple of things. So Psalm 32, verse 3 says this. David says, For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away. And he's talking about his sin. Because in the verse of he talks about he covered his sin. 
He covered up his sins. So when he kept silent, his bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. So David had some kind of sin. He wasn't confessing that wasn't covered. And he felt a great conviction of the spirit. He felt this sense of God's hand being heavy on him. And then you read the next verse. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then he says, verse 5, and then I acknowledge my sin. He's going to tell you what he did, but we're not going there. I just wanted to see his strength was dried up. Has your soul ever just felt dried up? Just, just kind of spiritually blah, dried up. One of the reasons that could be is you haven't practiced just confessing your sin to God. I think it's what David is getting at here. Now turn over to chapter 38. Similar thing. It tells us it's a memorial offering, but we don't know when. And again, I'm, I'm assuming by the context that he's at least going back to a time when he had sin in his life that he kept secret. So look what he says in verse 1, Psalm 38. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me. And your hand has come down on me. Again, he's experiencing this conviction, the hand of God. There's no soundness in my flesh. I want you to look at the physical, how his sin was affecting him physically. No soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones. Why? Because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. You know that humans were not created to carry sin. We were not designed by God with the capacity to bear the weight of sin. And so here, it's heavy on him. You ever felt just heavy buried under a sin or under sins in general? He goes on to say, my wounds sink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day. I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning and there's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is for you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone out. I don't know, you can feel the pain. You ever been there? You just kind of, you, you realize your sin is, ugh, you just don't like it. David feels physically and emotionally and spiritually just lifeless. He's crushed, he's in pain, he's depleted. And I think this is an example of what happens when we don't come clean with God. And I think this is probably what David was going through prior to Nathan coming. Prior to God pursuing David through Nathan, this is how David felt. He was crushed and anguished. Now we get to Psalm 51. If you could go back to Samuel, where we were last week, where David says, I've sinned against the Lord, and you could take your little mouse and go on those words and double-click, Psalm 51 would pop up. Because that's what's going on in David's heart. And it tells us that. We don't have to guess. Unlike, I see the little heading there, uh, creating me a clean heart. That's not inspired. That wasn't part of the original. But what is, is the reality that this was written, if you look pre-verse 1, Nathan, before this happened, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. So we know, this is one of the few psalms we actually know 
what happened and, and why it was written. So, so here is David now, confronted by Nathan. He confesses his sin. We don't know from 2 Samuel what was going on in his heart, but we find out here. We get a glimpse into a man's heart as he wrestles with what it looks like to be forgiven for sin by God. And so what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to, I'm going to do kind of four movements through this psalm to help us uh, understand what's going on and then bring it home. Okay, so I'm going to read Psalm 51 in a minute. Before I do, just be aware of what it is, as I read it, that David is asking for. Just, just that. Just want you to be paying attention to what are the things David's asking for. And then I'm going to give you the outline after I read it. So let's read Psalm 51 together. All right? Here it is. David standing before Nathan. Nathan confronts him in his sin. David says, I've sinned against the Lord. And I don't know whether this is that day, that afternoon, an hour later, two days later, but David writes these words. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my strength, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Praise God for his word. So I'm going to begin through four movements here. They're going to go like this. What is David crying out for? What is David counting on to get what he's crying out for? What's David going to do to get it? And what is David going to do once he gets it? Okay, I'll come back to those, but one, first one. What is David crying out for? So if you paid attention to David's requests, there are 17 requests in this verse, in this chapter. 17 of them. Some of them overlap. He repeats them. But if you counted them all as one, there's 17 of them. But they all flow from one main request. 
There's one main thing that has to happen in order for the others to flow out of the one. And we see it in verse 1. Have mercy. (laughs) Have mercy, O God. Have mercy on me, O God. He knows that he needs mercy. In in the Hebrew, it actually could read, be gracious to me, O God. So the sense of grace and mercy that David knows he needs, and then everything else is going to flow out of if he gets this grace and if he gets this mercy. And he knows he needs it because he knows that he deserves to die for what he's done. And I think he's very aware of that, that he deserves death. Now, Nathan tells him, God tells him through Nathan, he's not going to die. But I think Nathan is still brokenhearted, realizing the seriousness of what, he's going, what is going on in his life. So he needs mercy. If his sin is going to be covered and blotted out, and all the things we saw in this passage, he needs grace. And he's tried other ways to get rid of his sin. He's tried other ways to cover his sin, right? Hey, Uriah, come back home. See if he can sleep with Bathsheba. That'll, that'll cover my sin. I'll get away with that. That doesn't work. So what does he do? He kills Uriah to cover his sin. This past week I was thinking about that story and going, Uriah is almost like a type of Christ for David. Right? What is David trying to do? He's trying to cover his sin. And Uriah is a righteous, upright, good-doing man. Right? He's painted as a picture of a very godly man. And so what does David do? To try to cover up his sin, he slaughters him. He sheds Uriah's blood as a way of covering up his sin. But David knows it doesn't work. It didn't cover his sin. There's only one way for man's sin to be forgiven and removed. There's only one way for our sin to be cleansed and blotted out, and that is by grace. That is by mercy. So everything David is going to ask for here that's related to his sin in the psalm has to flow from the grace of God. He needs the grace of God. So the other things that he's asked for, you probably caught them as you read it, as we read it together. David wants grace in the form of, in verse 1, his sin being blotted out, his transgressions being blotted out. Then he asked in verse 2 for his sins to be washed thoroughly. He wants his iniquity to be washed thoroughly and his sin to be cleansed. So he's looking for cleansing from God based on his mercy. Then he's going to say some things about sin, and then he moves into verse 7. I want you to look at verse 7. Verses 7 and 8, I think, are couplets. And then 9 and 10 go together, and then 11 and 12 go together. 7 is going to tell us what David wants taken away. 8 is going to tell, him, tell us what he wants put in its place. 9 tells us what he wants taken away. 10 tells us what he wants put in its place. 11, what he wants taken away. 12, what he wants in its place. Does that make sense? This is kind of like, take this away and give me this. Take this away and give me this. And so that's what he does from 7 to 12. So in 7, he says... Purge me with hyssop. And then he says, and I shall be clean. So he wants to be purged. He wants to be clean. Then he says, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I mean, just read the the thoroughness and the desperation even in David's soul. Blot out my sin in verse 1. Wash it. Cleanse me. Verse 7. Purge me. Clean me. Wash me. I want to be whiter than snow. And then he says in verse 8, and replace that those sins. Replace all of that cleaning, take all that cleaning and use it as a place for there to be gladness, joy, and rejoicing. You see that? Verse 8. He says basically the same thing, but three times. I want joy, I want gladness, and I want rejoicing. So clean me up, purge me of my sin, and then give me joy in its place. And it's not just a superficial joy. Somewhat, he wants joy all the way down in his bones. He wants joy to flush out all of the pain, even the physical pain he's been feeling because of his sin. Okay, and then we get to verses 9 and 10, another couplet. 
Things he wants done. He wants God to please not hide his, or for God to hide his face from his sin. God, hide your face. I don't want you to see my sin anymore. And then in verse 9, he says, blot out all my iniquities. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want God to see his sin. He wants God to put it away. And then in its place, what does he want? A clean heart. And he wants to be renewed. You ever just want to be renewed? I just want to be renewed. I want to be brand new again. Elizabeth and I have been listening to varieties of music lately, and there was this, what's the song that I like that you don't like? The one where the girl sings about, I want to be everything I'm not. And this is a girl who's not a Christian, and she's singing about how she does, she just wants to be new. I want to be clean. And, and that's what we want. And that's what David is crying out for. Make me clean. Renew me. And then in verse 11 and 12 is the next little couplet. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. I want to be in your presence. Look, David knew the very worst thing, the worst thing that could ever happen to him would be to not have access to God's presence. Do you ever think about that? Like, what would it be like if God said, sorry, you can't have access to me anymore? You may not enter my presence any longer. David is terrified that that might be taken away, that the Holy Spirit might be taken away. He watched Saul's life, for crying out loud, where the Spirit of God left Saul. And he said, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want to end up without the Spirit of God in my life. I mean, the, the New Testament equivalent of this verse is in Hebrews 6. Let me just read it to you. This is Hebrews 6, which is really the same thing David is saying here in this psalm. For it is impossible, this is what the author of Hebrews writes, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted of the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age, of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. David is afraid. David doesn't have this New Testament context, but he's afraid that's going to happen to him. I tasted, I lived in the goodness of the Spirit, and I've sinned, and I didn't repent, and now maybe I won't be restored. Maybe restoration is not possible for me. And so what does he say in verse 12? Restore, please God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. You ever find yourself praying that, God, restore to me the joy I had when I first got converted. Restore to me the joy that I once had over the reality that I've been saved, that I've been born again, that my life has been changed. So David doesn't just, we've read those couplets, David doesn't just want his sin removed and covered, which he desperately does, but he also wants to be renewed and restored. If I had my Bible, your Bible, I'd take out my crayon and I would circle those words in your Bible. He wants to be renewed in verse 10 and restored in verse 12. Renew me and restore me. Renew me and restore me. And both of these, David says, are dependent on the grace of God. I need grace. He needs grace. So, point number two. What is David counting on in order to get the grace that he needs? Where is he going to look? Does he have any confidence at all that God's going to extend this grace to him? Well, here's where David goes with his confidence. Look at verse one again. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant love mercy. So David says, God, be merciful to me. And then David goes, how do I have any confidence, any hope that God's going to be that to me? And where does his mind go? Oh, 
Do it according to your steadfast love. Do it according to your loving kindness. David doesn't say, have mercy on me, O God, according to my goodness. According to my love for you, love me. David goes right to the character of God. And David would have known this. I just wish I could have be there with David. You know that he, he had handwritten probably at least Exodus, probably Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He'd handwritten them. So he knew what Moses knew from Exodus 34. You gotta love this. Imagine you don't know hardly anything about this God who made you, and all of a sudden he appears to you. After you've cleaned up your pants, you'd wait to hear what he has to say. And here's what he says to Moses. The Lord, you guys know these verses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I cannot imagine what good news that was for Moses. You're confronted by a burning bush. It starts to speak to you. You're terrified to hear these words from God saying, okay, who is this God that's presenting himself to me? Well, he's merciful, he's gracious, and he's abounding in steadfast love. So I think David is probably reflecting on that when he pens this and goes, I know what I'm going to do to count on God's mercy. I'm going to attach it to what I know is true about his character, that he abounds in steadfast love. And how much more don't we know about God's love for us? Right? I mean, come on that he had that experience, we've got all of the New Testament and the testimony of the Spirit in our hearts telling us that it's true when Paul writes, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. What greater proof is that? Better proof even than what Moses got or David got. What about the verses we've memorized a while ago where it's, it's uh, Paul's prayer where he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth has been named, that according to the riches of his power, he may grant you to be strengthened with power according to his spirit, that you may know how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. <laughs> right? So we can go there. We can say, I'm not sure about God's love. Yeah, you are. You go to God's word and you read about Christ's love for us, and it is unfathomable. So he goes there, and then he also just goes to God's abundant mercy. So he goes to God's abundant love. And then he says, where else am I going to find confidence that God's going to be gracious and merciful to me? I know he has abundant mercy according to your abundant mercy. Multitudes of abundant, tender mercy. David knows that God's mercy will outrun his sin. And today we can say with confidence, Jesus's blood provides a grace that will outrun any and all sin. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So David looks to the unshakable character of God. David says, God, my only hope for you acting gracious towards me is you abounding in love. The only hope I have that my sin is going to be washed away, that I'm going to be cleansed, that I'm going to be renewed and restored is if your mercy is abundant. And so that's where I'm looking. And we know from 2 Samuel that David's request was answered, that Nathan said, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. What good news for David 
And what foreshadowing of good news for us? Listen, I, I have, this is, this is the fun of getting to do what I do. I have such good news for you this morning. <laughs> it's just such good news. Do you need mercy? God is a merciful God. Do you need grace? Do you want God to not treat you like you deserve? There is grace from the cross for that for you today. Do you need to be renewed and restored? Do you feel depleted and exhausted? Listen, God gives renewal. He loves to give renewal. He loves to bless his children. He's not reluctant. Don't picture God going, oh boy, he did it again and now he's asking for renewal. He's not. He's not rolling his eyes. He's not reluctant to do it. In fact, the Father and the Spirit love to apply the work of Christ to your life. Do you believe that this morning? The Father and the Spirit are eager. They are excited about. They anticipate releasing the work of Christ, the grace of Christ, into your life when you confess your sin to him. It's such good news. David is banking on the character of God, of his steadfast love and his abundant mercy. And we can bank on it too. And so much more. So what is David going to do to get it? Right? He knows what he wants. I want cleansing and renewal and mercy and grace and forgiveness and blotting out of sin. I'm banking on the character of God in order to get it. But what is God looking to David for? Is this just universal forgiveness and blotting out of sin and renewal for everybody on the universe, no matter what happens? Or is God looking for something in you? Was God looking for something in David? Well, I think this psalm helps us to see what God is looking for and what David did. So the first thing I see, we're going to look in this little section here, verses 3 to 6 now, is that David, first of all, calls his sin, sin. He calls his sin what it is. For I know, he says, verse 3, my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David calls his sin, sin. And then he seems to, my opinion, as I read this, work very hard at wanting to make himself look even worse than he already feels. Because he digs himself deeper into a sin hole. He says in verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. I don't think David's exaggerating. I think he's telling God, look, I see my sin. I see it. it's a tape that keeps playing over and over in my mind. I can't seem to get it out of sight. And then he goes to the next level in verse 4, and he declares, and this doesn't just sin against anyone. He says, this is sin against you, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, this doesn't mean that David doesn't think he sinned against Bathsheba and her family and Uriah and his family and the entire kingdom. But what it does mean is that David is aware of the fact that God is perfectly holy and has greater value than the humans that he sinned against. I think that's what David's getting at. And so he knows he's got to confess his sin and his offense to God first. And so he goes, God, this is against you. 
And then he digs it into another, another whole level where he talks about his sinful nature and how he was born in sin. This doesn't mean that his mom was sinning when she conceived David. David here in verse 5 is talking about his sinful nature. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, I was born with a sin nature. It's not just that I did sinful things. Let me make it worse. I actually am a sinner. I've had that in my blood since the day I was born. I sin because I'm a sinner. It is not just, this wasn't just a two-and-done mess up. No, I sin because my very nature is to sin. So David reaches back, not just to his Bathsheba and Uriah experience, he reaches back to his birth and says, God, I have sinned against you and against you alone. Now, I don't know about you, but I do the opposite of David. When Elsabeth comes to me or one of my kids and tries to help me see some way that I have sinned, I do not go, oh, yeah, well, you know, I was even born a sinner. I'm worse than you think. I start to make excuses in my head. I had a really rough day when I did that. Didn't you know that? Or if you knew the circumstances, you don't know what's going on in my heart when I said that or when I did that. And I can make up excuse after excuse after excuse. I can rationalize and downplay my sin. And if I start to feel convicted, I can always just say, well, it's just condemnation. It's, a, it's Satan, so it's not for real. Or I feel some sense of guilt. And then I quickly say, well, Jesus took my guilt, which is true and right. But I wonder if we miss out on cultivating genuine conviction when we do that. I wonder if, put myself in this group, we are deficient repenters because of it. We're deficient in our repenting because we make excuses for our sin. Because after all, it's not very fun, is it? I don't feel very comfortable thinking about my sin. This is not a good thing. But here David is encouraging us that a key piece to confession, to repentance, is confession of our sin. And so David pours out his heart to God. And there's a second thing I think God is looking for in David and in us. Verse 17. I think it's kind of like the centerpiece of this whole psalm. Verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, and I love this last little phrase, you will not despise. You will not despise. The words broken here are shattered and wrecked. Contrite has this idea of being crushed or collapsed. And I love what God says. We know God despises lots of things, right? God despises sin. God despises sinners. God despises all sins, sins of omission and commission, intentional sins, unintentional sins. But here's something God doesn't, doesn't despise. You know what it is? It's when your heart is broken and contrite. When your heart is broken and contrite before God, he does not despise you. In fact, he rushes to you and he embraces you. It seems like God's grace is a magnet to broken and contrite hearts. <laughs> it seems that one thing God just can't resist, if God can't resist anything, 
if he can't. There's one thing that he can't resist, and that is showing love and mercy, not just love and mercy, steadfast love and abundant mercy to his children when their hearts are broken and contrite as they confess sin. He's there. He's on the scene the moment it happens. Full force. So here in this psalm, we see what seemed to be lacking in David's heart prior to Nathan confronting him. Here it is. David is now aware of his sin. His heart is responding in brokenness over his sin. So if we want God to be gracious to us, cultivate a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Now, a couple of things here to notice that I think are important is nowhere in the psalm does David mention the specifics of his sin. Did you catch that? He doesn't mention murder, adultery, lying, trying to save face, none of that. And you have to ask why. And I think there's a few reasons why. I think one of them is David doesn't want us to limit our heart cry to God based on his specific sins. No, this is not the psalm for those of you who have committed murder or adultery, and that's it. I think that's intentionally left out so you and I can bring anything to the party and bring it to Psalm 51 and apply it to Psalm 51 and live it in Psalm 51. So I think that's one of the reasons. I think the second reason is this. I think David knows that that was not the root of his problem. Adultery was not the root of the problem. Murder was not the root of the problem. That wasn't the heart problem. David's heart problem was different. And I think we get a clue as to what his heart problem was in verse 12. Here's the heart problem, I think. He uses the word restore, which means to me, he wants something to happen that he'd had in the past. Does that make sense? So what does David say? Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. So it seems, I wonder, if David didn't enjoy God. He wasn't enjoying his salvation that he got from God, and that was part of the slippery slope for him getting into the situation that he was in. Because it's clear from 2 Samuel, that David was enjoying a great time of prosperity. He had it all when he committed adultery. He had everything a king could ever want. God says to him all the things he did for David. I mean, he blessed the guy's socks off. Winning all their battles. Everything was going right. God gave David everything to enjoy except Bathsheba, another man's wife. I mean, it's not like the garden. All over again, eat it all, just not that one grape. Eat everything else, just not. And so what do we do? We take the one. And that's what David did. Everything was going for him. Everything was going for him. So listen, having everything you could ever want won't stop you from sinning. Perfectly obedient children. Perfect health. New cars, new house. Great looking. Great shape, no physical ailments, best job you could ever have. You could have it all, and that will not stop you from wanting more and from sinning against God. It won't stop you. It seems that David knows what's going to stop him is he needs to find a renewed joy in God's salvation for him. That's going to stop it. 
That's what got me into trouble in the first place, and that is what is going to prevent me from getting into trouble in the future. So we ask, oh God, please restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore it, restore it, restore it. And then David says, he transitions in verse 13. Once I get that, once David gets it, what is he going to do about it? What's he going to do with it? God, have mercy on me. I'm banking on it based on your grace and your love. And I'll confess my sin Now bring it to you. I want my heart to be broken. David's restored. So what does he say he's going to do in verse 13? Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. So I will teach. Look down in verse 14. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. So I will teach. I will sing aloud. Look at verse 15. And my mouth will declare your praise. So what's David going to do? Restore me, O God. And as soon as you do, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to teach transgressors and sinners their ways so they return to you. I'm going to sing and not just sing. I'm going to sing aloud. And I'm going to declare your praise. That's his heart response to getting from God the forgiveness and the cleansing that he longs for. So teaching. He's going to teach sinners. I think he's talking about other believers Other believers, if you're with somebody who maybe starts to confess their sin, they want you to hear about it. You can say, this is great. I have good news. I'm just like you, and I got mercy. I got grace through Christ. Let me help you to apprehend, to apply to your life the same grace that I've received for my sin. And David's just eager to do that. I think David's eager to do that for people who don't know God, to share with them the grace that he received. I mean, this this is Matthew 28 in the Old Testament, right? teaching them to observe all that I command you. Teach people. Teach them to encounter God. And David's saying, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach them to encounter God. Give me the grace. I'm off to the races. I'm going to teach others about it. And then he says, I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing. Look, we talk about what we love. All you have to do is come to me and say, Lake Tahoe, and I will have your ear for an hour. There's other topics. If you say them to me, I will be a thousand percent engaged. Just like you, there's topics that if get brought up and you're around, you just want to talk about it. Why? We talk about what we love because it completes the pleasure. And that's what David is going after. Like, I just, I want to sing aloud of what he's done. I want to tell of his praise. I want others to know exactly what I've been through. David is like, I want to be a Nathan. I want to go to people and help them encounter God and to praise God. I want to sing aloud when I'm with God's people. I love verse 15. Open, he wants God to open his lips and his mouth so that he'll declare praise. You ever been there? You ever been in that? Maybe it's in this setting and everyone's singing and just something blocking your mouth. We feel like I just can't sing wholeheartedly. And David is saying, apprehend grace. Grab a hold of grace and God's forgiving, washing, cleansing power and sing aloud and declare his praise with joy. I, it's so hard to know how and when to always bring Jesus into this. And I trust in your own heart, you're bringing Christ into what David is asking for because we do know better. We know more. But there's a sense in which I read this and I go, this is the Christian life. It's marked by two things, brokenness and joy. Do you see that in the past? It's brokenness and joy. We should be marked by a crushed heart, but also abounding in gladness. A contrite heart, but filled with praise. 
We should be filled with worship, which we know from the Old Testament. Worship is down on our faces, gang. God, have mercy on me. Do with me whatever you want. And then also filled with praise him for what he's done for us. That is the Christian life. A brokenness that we walk around with for our own sin, for the tragedies that are in our world, for the sin of our friends and our neighbors and our family members. But then there's this joy that also comes out of that. I mean, uh, uh, Paul said, he is sorrowful. This is in 2 Corinthians. He said, I'm sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That is so encouraging for me. Because I often think I have to be one or the other. And I think what he's saying is it's both. That you can be talking to somebody, beaming with joy, but knowing inside there's a grieving going on because you're just aware of sin in your own life or in others. At the same time, people can see on your face, if you're like me, people can see on my face, you're not doing too well. You look at your grieving and be able to say, yes, but I'm rejoicing inside. There's a joy there. It comes from Christ, even though there's a grieving going on. And so I pray that as we, as we spend time, even this week in the psalm, that you will experience both. <laughs> that you'll be able to read this psalm this week and study this psalm and ask the Spirit to let this psalm study you, that it'll work its way into your heart in such a way that you'll feel grieved, but there'll be joy because you know you're forgiven. That you'll have this joy over your salvation, but with a sense in which your heart is still kind of broken because you know that you're not living exactly the way God wants you to live. And that we'll experience both together. That people can come to Christ Church and say, well, this is a place where people grieve and rejoice. This is a people where their hearts seem to be very engaged and broken over their sin and God, but they're so filled with rejoicing and joy. It's amazing. I was thinking about our times of singing together. And how there's times where you guys blow the roof off this place. Where I honestly, I can't even sing. It's so faith-filled and joyful. And I think to myself, I bet you the singing today is the way it is because everyone is a little more aware of their sin in some way. And they're just rejoicing over how forgiven they are. I mean, that's what fuels it. You know, Tyler can get excited. Alex can get excited. Kayla can get excited. That doesn't do us, right? We need something in our hearts to excite us to sing, to give us joy to sing. And I think this is it. I think we can even come, we can even come grieving on a Sunday and yet still to some degree be rejoicing over our Savior and what he's done for us. So I pray, let me just pray it for us, that God would make us that kind of church. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would work this psalm into our hearts. Get it into us, God. Help us to be a people that are marked by joy and by brokenness. Help us to be aware of our sin and aware of our forgiveness. Help us to be aware of the ways we have failed you and sinned against you and also just very aware of your saving, washing, cleansing power. God, help us to be a church. Oh God, I pray we'd be a church that knows how to embrace both of those. That we'd be a real, real people in a real gathering together where we go, I'm grieving, but I'm rejoicing. I'm aware of my sin, but I'm thrilled over God and his mercy. Help us to be that kind of people, I pray. And Lord, I ask, especially this morning, for any here that are uniquely in need of being restored. God, if there's any here that they just feel distant from you and broken and crushed and tired, Oh, Lord, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would give refreshment, that you would give renewal, that you would restore them. God, I pray that you would give us all a fresh joy in your salvation. 
Increase our joy, God. Help us to see our sin clearly so our joy increases. How great it is to be a forgiven sinner. How great it is to have a God whose love and mercy outruns all my sin. Thank you for that reality. So refresh my friends, God. Restore them. Encourage them. Make them aware of how great your salvation is, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.